Welcome to the Itchy Podcast. I'm David Calfee, the editor of Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology, a journal of the Society for Healthcare Epidemiology of America. It's June 2023. Several papers that have recently been published in Itchy, including in the June issue, address an important topic in antimicrobial stewardship with which many stewardship programs continue to struggle, I think. And that is the identification and use of metrics that optimally assess antimicrobial consumption and the impact of antimicrobial stewardship interventions on antibiotic use and other key outcomes. I have invited authors from a few of these papers to join me today to talk about this topic and to discuss the work that they've been doing in this area. With us today are Dr. Rebecca Mooring, an Associate Professor of Medicine, the Co-Director for Research for the Duke Antimicrobial Stewardship Outreach Network, and the Medical Director of the Antimicrobial Stewardship and Evaluation Team at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, Dr. Mike Yarrington, an Assistant Professor of Medicine and the Associate Medical Director of the Antibiotic Stewardship and Evaluation Team at Duke University, Dr. Michi Goto, an Associate Professor of Internal Medicine in Infectious Diseases at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine, and an investigator with the Center for Access and Delivery Research and Evaluation, known as CADRE, at the Iowa City VA Medical Center in Iowa City, Iowa. And finally, Dr. Hiro Suzuki, a Clinical Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine in Infectious Diseases at the University of Iowa, and a hospital epidemiologist, physician champion of antimicrobial stewardship, and an investigator with CADRE at the Iowa City VA Medical Center. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us, David. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Excited to be here. So before we get into discussion of the details of the research that you've recently published in Itchy, I want to first talk more broadly about the concept of measuring antibiotic use or utilization. And I know this is a topic that you've all been focusing on for quite a while now. So maybe, Rebecca, you can get us started by talking about why it's important for us to measure antibiotic use in our facilities. Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. And I certainly use antibiotic use data in a myriad of ways. I try to summarize it basically for three main uses and purposes. One and number one is definitely to learn and just understand what's going on within the hospital population that I'm trying to serve as an antibiotic steward. So just looking at antibiotic use rates and leaks of therapy and things like that can help me understand better about my patients and also just recognize patterns of practice that might be apt for a stewardship intervention. This can also be seen in like the national scale and the large scale, like looking at antibiotic use data serves a purpose for surveillance and definitely has value for public health as well just because it's such an important medication and it has lots of downstream effects and obviously our targets when we're trying to improve the use of it. So from a public health perspective, you know, monitoring how we're doing with antibiotic use helps us kind of put priorities where they need to be. And then part of that learning, of course, is hypothesis generation. So as you're looking at these patterns and practice patterns, you then are saying, okay, well, where do I need to look further and see exactly where my opportunities for stewardship lie? Some of the big picture kind of start your global views of your antibiotic use data, then lead to further follow-up questions, hypothesis generation, and then finally better defining a problem to then intervene on. So number one is learning. Number two, I think for me is evaluating the effects of what I'm doing in stewardship. So is my strategy working? Am I actually improving care for my patients? A lot of those antibiotic use metrics can actually show that process part of my work. 
But in terms of showing the process and the effect on the kind of change in management, we also want to tie that to harder patient outcomes. So whenever we're looking at antibiotic use, we also want to consider like, am I actually helping my patient? Am I making care safer? So those patient outcomes usually come in concert when you're looking at the impact part. And then with impact, of course, you you got to like prove your worth to your hospital leadership. So it's so that impact that, you know, and mostly we care about the clinical impact, but showing your impact doesn't only give you own, your own like self-satisfaction that you're doing good work, but it shows your leadership and the person that's like writing your checks that you're doing good work as well. So it has that value. And then I think the, my third category for how do we use antibiotic use metrics is really to spur change. And that can be usually by comparing data. So having some type of external comparison, recognizing, oh, wait, I'm different than those around me. It can be on the hospital level or, or like peer comparison for individual prescribers. But that is such a powerful tool, that data feedback tool for just like recognizing that there's something different needs to be investigated and potentially changed. So those are my three, learning, showing impact, and like motivating change. Thank you. And I maybe it's worth pointing out that in terms of that last category that you mentioned with comparison and evaluation is that there are increasing expectations that antibiotic stewardship programs are making these assessments and reporting them out. I think Joint Commission um, and LeapFrog have some of these expectations and starting next year, CMS is going to have similar expectations for reporting into the, the CDC or antibiotic use data. Yeah. So Shay actually is going to have a whole converse and convene session on that in July about hospitals that are responding to that new regulatory requirement, which is a pay for reporting, not a pay for performance requirement. So um, just sharing the data so that the CDC can look at our national data um, widely for that surveillance purposes, not for any kind of incentive or compensation program. And so a lot of people are trying to figure out if they haven't already started reporting and, and using their SARS that you get back from the NHSN AU option, exactly what that looks like, what they're going to do with the data, and how they're going to meet that requirement. So hopefully we'll get into a very detailed discussion, hope, hope to have lots of participation for folks in that conversion convene. Wonderful. So Michi, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about some of the common ways that antibiotic stewardship programs are currently measuring antibiotic use and the impact of their interventions like Rebecca talked about. Yeah, sure. I'll be happy to. There are several ways that I know their antimicrobial stewardship programs are currently that I know that measuring their performance at this point. There was a great paper led by Odano Rebecca that, that published several years ago that the reviewing Odano that all kinds of metrics for antimicrobial stewardship programs. The CDC expert panel identified the four of the categories of the four the ready for immediate use and tracking of the animal sector that category here. One was the days of therapy, and the second was healthcare associated CDF infection. Third was the drug-resistant infection prevalence, and the fourth was the redundant therapeutic events. Among those that I know, the most hospitals are using days of therapy, which is what I know the number of days the patients received with that antibiotics that normalized by that days present that num how long they stayed in the hospital and so forth and I think that there are these four categories that have it to that know their own strength and that know their weakness for each of them and I look at their metrics in the four components or the four aspects one is what I know that how they are measuring that stewardship activities if that's measuring or the entire activity of stewardship, 
or just one element over those toolship activities that we do. The second is the case mix effect, the one of the most common argument that we get you know, that when we say, hey, your hospital may be using too much antibiotics, but that of course you know, that we hear my patients are sicker than yours, right? So how do you adjust for those that case mix or patient background difference will be quite different and important. And also how much of that does it get affected by those case mix difference is also another element. And the third is that the external effect. For example, that health social CDV infection or drug resistant infection prevalence. These are not purely coming from the undermark stewardship. It may be affected by infection control practice or prevalence of, the, of those you know, infection in the community as well. So that let's say you know, that we may say, hey, we reduce health culture CDF infection rates so that to hospital leadership. Then you know, they may say you know, that we have a great infection control program. We give credit to them, not you. That, that can happen as well. Then you know, that redundant therapeutic effect event that we typically look at double anaerobic coverage but that is just one element of you know, the stewardship program we do. I think those are the four that most hospitals that use days of therapy for good reasons, because that's the global assessment of you know, their stewardship program. But everybody you know, under stewardship program, you know, their target will be included to this so that days of therapy. You know, that also, you know, that if we use you know, the redundant therapy, the DOD will increase. So that can be included as well. No, that's all. I think that, that people are using that DOT that for good reason, and the SAR is basically built on that, that DOT by performing some risk adjustment. So. And before we jump into a discussion of the SAR, I think Rebecca's going to talk to us about that in a minute or two. But I want to ask a little bit more about the DOT. It sounds like that's a very common metric that hospitals are using. It's good. It gives you a global measurement of antibiotic use. But it has some limitations too, right? It really, an, an antibiotic is an antibiotic is an antibiotic according to DOT, right? And so it's not really taking into account spectrum or and things like that. So with that in mind, maybe I'd like to switch it over and ask Rebecca to talk a little bit more about the SAR that you mentioned or the standardized antimicrobial administration ratio and maybe how is that an advance over DOTs or how does it differ from DOTs? Yeah. Can I address the other limit, main limitation for DOT? Yeah. Um, is that it is a totally a consumption or quantity metric, and it doesn't tell you if the use is appropriate or if there's areas of opportunity to improve that use. So it doesn't tell you if the antibiotic use is like totally evidence-based or guideline-corded or appropriate. It only tells you that it was used yes or no. It's nice because it's really objective. Like, in something that we can measure just using electronic data, not having to go through and use our brains to really determine how appropriate it is. But that's that's really the main limitation. So it really is seen as a starting point to then further investigate and do those appropriateness assessments. But it's a very important starting point because otherwise we just have like our, you know, wits about us and like our anecdotes to go from. That I think is also a really important limitation from just looking at quantity versus quality. And then Getting into the SAR, so the standardized antimicrobial administration ratio is what that stands for, S-A-A-R, was introduced by the CDC, I think, around 2014, 2015 for the first time, and then it's been updated once um, with a newer baseline as more hospitals started participating in our national surveillance system, the NHSN AU option. 
And generally, it takes some facility level factors that we report in all of our annual surveys each year to the NHSN and convert those into variables, which then go into a risk adjustment model for the CDC to produce an expected days of therapy. And the SAR is really built to be administered through the AU option. So it very much is based on aggregate data to a specific unit. So a SAR that you will get back is specific to an antibiotic group as well as a specific location. So for example, my hospital, I have five different ICUs. You know, some of them are very subspecialized, like our neuro ICU or cardiothoracic ICU. I don't really get a SAR back for those really specialized units, but I do get a comparison for my surgical ICU and my medical ICU using the SAR. And that it has a lot of value just in being able to say like, okay, compared to our national baseline, this is where our medical ICU compares. And then I can get folks' attention so we can start diving into to where our opportunities are. And you mentioned that you get the data in terms of antibiotic groupings, which is a little also something different than you'd get with DOTs unless you're looking at specific antibiotic days of therapy. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those groupings are and, and how those might be helpful? Yeah, CDC has really kind of made antibiotic groups based on input from specific age doctors. So like there's adult groups, there's peds groups, and then there's neonatal SAR groups. I can give you a couple examples. In the adult groups, there's agents used for hospital onset infections, group negative infections. That includes things like piptazo, cefepime, meropenem. There's a kind of companion to that is for resistant gram-positive infections. So that's going to include your vancomycin, linazolid, those types of anti-MRSA agents. So those are kind of two example groups to go from. It is helpful to look at that just because like, you know, going back to the gram negative group, some hospitals, they're like more cefepime heavy hospitals. Some hospitals are more piptazo heavy hospitals. So putting that in the same group kind of like takes a more global approach and kind of it makes it a little bit easier to compare between and different formularies. People have different formularies too. So that helps a little bit. And I know there have been other metrics developed that attempt to measure not only volume of antibiotics, but also the antibacterial spectrum of the antibiotics being administered in a hospital, which seems important that avoiding giving unnecessarily broad spectrum antibiotics is a major focus of antibiotic stewardship programs. And one of these metrics is the antimicrobial spectrum index or ASI. And Mike and Rebecca, I know you've used this in some of your work. In fact, some of the work we'll talk about a little bit later today. So Mike, can you tell us a little bit more about the ASI before we hear about your study? Sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of this work in antibiotic spectrum evaluations really, I guess, is derived from the limitations we've already mentioned in some of the other metrics that we already use, like days of therapy, where you can't get some of those nuanced comparisons in certain antibiotic regimens. If I'm a antibiotic steward and I'm seeing a patient who's on cefepime and flagyl versus one on piptazo, I might consider those effectively the same, but days of therapy would measure those very differently. And so the work on kind of antibiotic spectrum indices is really trying to get at some of those cases and, and try to make some of those comparisons. And there's been, I think, a number of folks who have developed different scoring methods, particularly over the last five or 10 years. One in particular that we had looked at and used was that developed by Dr. Gerber and colleagues. And I think the study was back in 2017 in Itchy, where they developed this antibiotic spectrum index, which is essentially a based on assigning each antimicrobial a specific score. 
which is a, a sum of kind of binary measurements of covering certain pathogens or pathogen groups, things like covering MRSA, pseudomonas, or anaerobes would each get you one point. And each drug then gets summed to be assigned a certain value. And then you can actually sum multiple drugs too. So, you know, an example, and I think it's helpful to think about this with an example. So a patient who's been receiving a regimen of your usual regimen of vancomycin and piptazo. Vancomycin might get assigned a score of five. Piptazo would get assigned a score of eight. And so in total, that summed score would be a, a score of 13, which then you could compare against other antimicrobial regimens and get a semi-quantitative evaluation at, at least. And so, you know, it, it's not the only method of assessing spectrum score. A number of them have been developed and they have differing levels of complexity. And I think depending on which one you look at, there's trade-offs with those degrees of complexity and how intuitive the results of any particular analysis might end up. A higher degree of complexity makes it a little bit less intuitive to try to really understand what's happening, but it lets you look at a little bit more nuanced differences between antimicrobial regimens. Ultimately, I, you know, I thought we thought that Dr. Gerber's antibiotic spectrum index kind of struck a nice balance in that degree of complexity, but then also the ability to kind of intuitively understand some of the analyses that were derived from it. Yeah. And he basically, he made kind of a spectrum categories. And I guess like there are a total of 14 categories, but it really kind of clinically makes sense when we're trying to cover enterococcus, that gives you a point. When you're trying to cover MRSA, that gives you another point. So it kind of was based on clinical categories that we think about when we're treating patients and managing patients. So I think that gives it a little bit more translatability to the clinical bedside, which is nice, as well as that continuous kind of like more granular score. So that's that's what was nice. It gives you a, a numeric score, it's continuous, and it's something that you can relatively easily kind of convey to a clinician. And I know, Mike, you mentioned that there were other similar or not so similar indices that have been created. And Michi, I know that you and some of your colleagues in Iowa previously developed and published on a metric that you've called Days of Antibiotic Spectrum Coverage, or DASC. In your original paper, you described this as being inspired by the antimicrobial spectrum index that Mike just described. So what is DASC and how does it differ from the ASI or antibiotic spectrum index? Sure. Well, the first odinodinol, we studied odinodinol, former odinodinol, that addressing some major limitations with DOT. I would agree that everything Rebecca has already said about that, those limitations of the DOT, but also that another big limitation of the DOT is odinodinol, that penalizing appropriate combination therapy. That, for example, odinodinol, that erdobenum and the ceftriaxone plus metronidazole, those are very similar odinodinol, that coverages. But that if we go with that erdobenum, that gets the DOT one per for each day, and the ceftriaxone plus metronidazole, we get two for each day. So basically, that we are doubling the DOT and penalizing appropriate the combination therapy. I think that can be a very serious issue, especially if we're commuting to acquire pneumonia, for example. That guideline coconut therapy that are lipoflux, the fluoroquinone, or ceftriaxone plus the macrolide or the tetracycline. So that, that if we go with that, the ceftriaxone plus the adomycin, for example, we get a DOT of two for each day. Then if we use the fluoroquinone, the DOT of one for each day, that's almost like 
incentivizing the use of fluoroquinones. So that, that we started from that address, addressing that limitation over DOT, which penalizes the appropriate combination therapy. Then that we thought through the how we can avoid it. Then that came to the idea over how about the incorporating spectrum to that the DOT, so that, that we can come up with the cumulative, the sort of cumulative ASI that we are looking for that some other the convenient, the already that you know, proposed method for spectral measurements. And that, you know, that came across with you know, that, you know, Dr. Gerber's with that great paper you know, that published on Ichi. Then you know, we tried to expand to that, you know, the ASI and also come up with you know, the composite measure of ASI plus DOT. So that, like I said, that it's almost like cumulative ASI you know, that, to measure both over the you know, therapeutic quantity, but also that you know, the quality of that spectrum of the coverage. So that we think that can be that the good composite measure that covering those two elements of antimicrobial stewardship activities, both quantity and the quality. So that if you are interested in just the quantity, maybe DOT is okay. But if you are measuring if you're caring about de-escalation or those spectrum of the adjustment, that can be a good measurement, I believe. Thanks. So Hiro, I think this is a good opportunity to transition to our discussion of the paper that you and Michi and your colleagues published in Ichi this month, titled Tracking Antimicrobial Stewardship Activities Beyond Days of Therapy, Comparison of Days of Antibiotic Spectrum Coverage and Days of Therapy at a Single Center. So what questions specifically were you trying to answer in that study? Sure. So the main question or objective of our study was to apply the new metric Dr. Goto and our team developed a task using a longitudinal inpatient antimicrobial prescribing data at Iowa City VA. So Iowa City VA is a small hospital with 83 beds, including ICU, medicine search unit, and psychiatric unit. But uh, we have a very active antimicrobial stewardship team with a one ID pharmacist and two ID providers. And our main activity is the audit and feedback for all inpatients on any type of antimicrobial therapy. So we review antimicrobial therapy every weekday via chart review and provide real-time feedback to frontline providers. And one of the common recommendations uh, we make is antimicrobial de-escalation. But we notice that our DOT has been very stable for a few years despite our effort. So we are interested how the dust, uh, which is a composite metric of antimicrobial consumption and spectrum, can be used to track longitudinal antimicrobial use in hospital with a robust antimicrobial stress program. So how did you try to answer that question as to comparing those two things? So we started by obtaining inpatient antimicrobial data from uh, January 2017 to December 2021, so for five years, from antimicrobial stewardship dashboard provided by Veterans Integrated Service Network 23, so what we call BISN 23, which is a network of VA hospitals located in Midwest states. And in this study, we used three metrics. So the first one is the dusk which was used as a composite metric of antimicrobial consumption spectra. 
and it was calculated by multiplying the antibiotic spectrum score and uh, antimicrobial specific DOT for every type of antimicrobials and uh, sums all together to calculate the total dust. And the second metric is dust per DOT, which was just dividing dust by DOT. So it's kind of purely for spectrum. It's pretty similar to what SI describes. And the third metric DOT was used as a comparison to track only antibiotic consumption. So by comparing those three metrics, we assessed how the new metrics dust and dust part DOT can ca capture different trends if there are any trends. So what did you learn after you uh, finished the study? Yeah, so during the study period, there was no significant increasing or decreasing trend in DOT. But in contrast, there was a, a statistically significant decreasing trend in dust and dust part DOT. So we also like a check kind of like DOTs for similar types of antibiotics. We found that there was a 12% decrease of DOT for anti-pseudomonal agents uh, such as Pitezo, Cephepidim, or Meropenem. We also observed a 54% decrease in phenolone use and 19% decrease in anti-MRSA agent. In contrast, uh, use of anti-Sidisbactam or Amokishiren carbonate increased by 12% and use of ceftriaxone increased by 37%. So we believe our findings suggest that dust may be more responsive to stewardship activities than DOT by adding spectrum in a single metric. Yes, I think that's really kind of fascinating. I think your study kind of proved the points that several other people made earlier and what some of the limitations of those DOT measures are by you didn't necessarily change the number of antibiotics you were giving, but you changed the spectrum of antibiotics, but that's not reflected in a DOT measurement. Whereas these other scores that take into account spectrum, you might see a more accurate representation of what your stewardship program was doing. Yeah, that's definitely what I took away after after reading Hero's paper. And he has a nice visualization where it's just like totally flat for DOT. And then once he adds the DASC assessment over that what is it, like five-year five, five year period, you can see all that work they've been doing in Iowa City. So it's just, it's it's so nice because it really shows the impact of all that work that they're doing, you know, evaluating every patient every day in their hospital, which I'm so jealous <laughs> to do that. But, um, yeah. uh, and also I think a lot of programs now, since they've been doing stewardship, you know, since the mid-teens, they are very mature programs. And so like, Antibiotic use, we're not trying to get to zero. It's not like HAIs. There's going to be a middle ground. And a lot of programs may have reached that threshold where like going lower would actually be unsafe. So once you kind of reach that threshold of like where you're going to be for your DOT, if you keep doing decent stewardship, you know, this is kind of the next step for those really mature programs to really start focusing now more on spectrum rather than days. So you're not really going to turn your days into zeros. You're going to turn them into a lower spectrum day. So thank you, Rebecca. So that is uh, actually like you know, what we kind of observed. So our stewardship program started in 2015. And after that, we saw some decrease in DOTs. But you know, after a few years, like you know, it had been stable. So I was really like so frustrated to see that. So we are doing a lot of jobs, but it's not reflected by DOTs. Yeah, thank you very much for reflecting that. 
Yeah, but I know that I totally agree that I know that we are sort of spoiled by uh, having an excellent associate program he had to that iOS DVA. Almost like what I know that great program to, disproportional to our size of the facility. But what I know that we saw that decline with the DOD in the first few years, but that almost it saturated, like what Orevka said. And that we haven't seen that much of their progress on a DOT or a SAR for the last few years. Then when we looked into that possible de-escalation effect, by incorporating a desk, it showed that the clear decline. So that we are glad to see that something to show our great effort with our excellent team. Thanks. So now, Mike and Rebecca, I want to talk about your study that was published a couple months ago now. It was in the April issue of Itchy. And you use the antibiotic spectrum index, which uh, Mike explained to us earlier, in what seems, at least to me, to be in a fairly novel way in terms of how you used the antibiotic spectrum index. And that article was titled Measuring Empiric Antibiotic Spectrum, A Journey Through Space and Time. I love that title. It's very intriguing. And so maybe... If you could tell us what you were trying to do in, in that study and and what the what the title really means. Yeah, no, the entire purpose of the study was to make sure that we could get that title to work. Uh, <laughs> but really, I think this was kind of a, an endeavor in kind of looking at some of our data to generate hypotheses as stewards. I think we're in a unique position where we get to, you know, through stewardship rounds or, or post-prescription review, we get to have a very unique lens through which to view the hospital. And we start to see patterns or trends that may not be typically seen otherwise. We say like X unit always has inappropriately high use of Y drug or Z provider doesn't ever take my recommendation. So we we see some of these patterns or we have some of these hunches that we then try to go back to the data and see if those hunches actually pan out. Um, so I think this paper was a, a, an attempt to do that. You know, we kind of maybe have the general gestalt of, yeah, broad spectrum antibiotics are always started over by the night team and the day team has to pick up the pieces or something like that in the morning. And so this was an attempt to really see, can we actually quantify that question? Do differences occur when not as many resources are available on the nights or weekends when they don't have access to our amazing ID pharmacists or other resources like that? And then I think the other piece we were trying to get at is how how can we make this data easily digestible and make it visualizable? Uh, I think, you know, in general, we're a very visual species and we can take in a lot more data a lot quicker through visualization. And so this was an attempt to really like use kind of visual aids to see how different antibiotics are used in the healthcare system. Great. So tell us a little bit more about exactly what you did in this site. Yeah, so this was looking at our antibiotic administration data over a couple year period and essentially applying the Gerber's antibiotic spectrum index to that administration data. So each of our antibiotic administrations got assigned a specific score. And then we attempted to electronically identify the kind of empiric antibiotic regimen or the initial antibiotic regimen for a given course and assign that regimen to a particular time of day. So in our study, we ended up using the administration hour of the first antibiotic of a, of a regimen within a particular time frame. And so we kind of lumped all of those administrations to that first hour and said, this is when this antibiotic regimen was started. 
And then with that antibiotic regimen, using the ASI, the spectrum index, you could kind of get a, an aggregate score and say, this is what the score of that empiric antibiotic regimen was. And then across all the data, you can kind of perform some descriptive statistics and say, this is the average score at four o'clock on a Friday for patients that are receiving antibiotics at our hospital. Great. So what, what did you find? <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I think we confirmed a few of our hunches, essentially the average spectrum score for new antibiotic starts on nights and weekends did tend to be higher. We also ended up kind of splitting out the analysis by different unit types and looked at the medical wards for surgical wards, medical ICU and surgical ICU. And as you'd expect, medical ICU and surgical ICU did have higher overall averages for empiric antibiotic regimens. And so I, th I think it confirmed some of those initial hunches. And I think we were able to at least demonstrated in a way where you could visualize some of that data, hopefully fairly easily. And I think just to clarify, I think it was important the way you designed the study so that you really weeded out antibiotics that were de-escalation events, right? So these were new antibiotic starts in people who hadn't previously been on antibiotics. And so it's not a de-escalation event that was kind of watering down or the, the data for your weekdays during the daytime hours. Is that Correct? That is correct. Yeah. We, we tried to kind of, with any electronic definition, there's always imperfections that you try to kind of weed out. So some of the issues that we tried to resolve were those de-escalation events. The other ones that we tried to eliminate were some of our antibiotic prophylaxis starts. So we were trying to capture empiric antibiotic regimens, not capture just patients that are started on a typical like prophylaxis regimen when they're admitted to the hospital. So we tried to eliminate some of those as well. And have you found that your results have been helpful in terms of guiding the antibiotic stewardship activities uh, within your hospital or, or how are we going to use these data now that we have them? Yeah, I think I mean, it's a good question. I, I think it certainly informs a little bit about how we approach some of our policies, like how we approach restricted drugs and, and what our policies are overnight and making sure that you know, certain things are followed up next day by some of our team members. I think the other thing it, it allows us to do is is know, similar to kind of some of those DOT metrics, it's really just a tool to point us in the right direction about where to apply resources. And so if we're seeing a good portion of our broad spectrum uses started overnight or on the weekends, that's where we can start to apply some of those stewardship resources. Do we need to educate the overnight hospitalist group? to some degree to kind of improve some of the initial choices made potentially. You know, since we have spent a little while talking about limitations, one limitation of this too is maybe those are all appropriate empiric starts overnight. That's not something we can know from this data. So there, there is a piece missing there too. Uh, and that's kind of a next step to try to dig into. So after I was reading both of these studies, it got me thinking that perhaps hearing about both of these studies together will get some people thinking about the possibility of using DASC or ASI in their antimicrobial stewardship programs, and then probably wondering if these metrics are feasible outside of a research study in their particular setting. So for someone who currently has access to DOT data, how easy or, or difficult is it to calculate DASC or, or ASI using those data? 
Yeah, I thought that if you already have DOT data, that I think it should be fairly easy to apply ASI or Dask, because most of the time to come up with a DOT, that we count the number of days for individual antibiotics, then that that no, group them to no the NHS and antibiotics categories, or lumping all together to all antibacterial categories. Basically, that you have to put some multiplication to each of the antibiotics or that class. Calculating ASI or task that shouldn't be too hard that if you already have the DOT data available. So particularly if you're using it as a more aggregate measure, maybe it's a little bit more difficult if you're trying to do it by the hour, <laughs> uh, like you were doing in the Duke study. So I think that calculating by hand is kind of hard uh, if you, you want to like, continue that. So if like, you, know, you have a good uh, informatic person to talk with and you can make a Auto, uh, automated program to capture ASI or DAS, that will be great, greatly help capturing those metrics. And I think that, that, that speaks for very important the element of that, the, the stewardship metrics or that, the characteristics, which is the scalability, right? How easy to gather data, how easy to that, the expand it to that, the, the most hospitals, including the rural hospitals or critical care access hospitals, where they typically don't have that much informatic support or that even infectious disease expertise. I think this has been a great discussion of several of the current metrics that we have available to us for measuring our antibiotic use, uh, as well as some of the limitations of those metrics. And it sounds like we've not yet found the holy grail of antibiotic use uh, measurement. So with that in mind, Maybe, Rebecca, I'll ask you about the future of antibiotic measurement. What does that look like? Where should we be going? What do you see in our future? Yeah, I mean, I think you can get a bunch of opinions on this, and I think it kind of boils down into whether you're a lumper or a splitter. <laughs> um, so I think today we've really focused on antibiotic spectrum. That's only one piece of a very complex cognitive practice that we actually do with antibiotic stewardship and infection management, which is something that's dynamic over time that involves more than six or seven factors in any given time and is very much a clinical decision based on data that you have at the time. So this is a really complex process. And I think, you know, there's benefits to looking at each little decision piece and broad to narrow has always been a focus for antibiotic stewardship. And so that's what's nice about these metrics is it gives us a quantified definition of what broad to narrow movement looks like. But that's only one piece, you know, there's like route, there's duration, you know, there's should I be using antibiotics at all? And so each of those little factors kind of come into play. And in my brain, I'm imagining a future of we have multiple metrics to be able to dive down deeper into specific decision points that we want to. So something on my screen where I can like dive into duration. I can dive into, you know, broad versus narrow. I can dive into the number of people diagnosed with UTIs when they shouldn't have been. You know, so I think there's multiple ways to get at it. I would say for practicality for stewards, really consider this metric when the aim of your intervention is to go from broad days to narrow days. And so that's just one potential intervention that we can do. And it's usually wrapped up into kind of this multi multiple interventions at once. But this is what the information that these spectrum score metrics will give us. I think the other part that like everyone is going to be thinking about really deeply and something that we need to work on is how to 
do an assessment of appropriateness or guideline of concordance that doesn't take these like manual chart review personnel efforts. And so part of the updated Joint Commission standards is that we should be measuring guideline adherence. Um, and I think most programs at this point are doing this kind of like on one-offs, like either syndrome-based or medication use evaluations to look at appropriateness. And then we're incorporating it into our daily activities, our post-description reviews with perspective audit and feedback. So getting that into something that we can put on a dashboard or to actually kind of logically define that is, is still something that we have to develop. And we're going to probably have to start with very narrow criteria, CAT only, UTI only, surgical prophylaxis only, and do a really good job with one of those. And so there's a lot of work, I think, to come with that. But I'm interested to see what Michi says next. Uh, sure, I love that. Think, well, the, I can't agree more that, about what the Rebecca has already said. That, no, those are great suggestions. I really love that idea of having multiple different the metrics to look at the different elements of our stewardship programs. I mean, the stepping back, that in general, as hospital epidemiologists or anatomical stewards, we have that you know, sort of love and hate relationship with all that all kind of metrics, right? That yes, so the metrics can be very helpful for all the reasons that Rebecca that mentioned at the beginning. But also at the same time that we sometimes get frustrated by that metrics which doesn't that reflect important element of our activities. Or that sometimes that out there it doesn't reflect the quality or the what trying to measure and so on. For example, the case mix adjustment is uh, probably a very important uh, if we are to expand these metrics to uh, the diverse hospitals. What is the best method for the risk adjustment? Because SAR uh, adjusts for only hospital and unit level characteristics. Patient level information typically uh, explains majority of the variability. And uh, Rebecca has already uh, uh, published several papers about uh, the patient level uh, risk adjustment uh, uh, attempts. It also that comes down to that, that question of scalability or feasibility as well. So that, that how to measure the metrics and how we can that, generalize or make it scalable. Then that how to perform that, that, the case mix adjustment or risk adjustment. Those are the next steps we are trying to, that, to come up with. So at this point, I think we are still in a relatively early stage of their undermine stewardship of their metrics development. But we are still trying to find out that what is the best foundational measurement. Then the next step will be how to make it scalable and how to perform the appropriate risk adjustments and so forth. Sounds like we still have a lot of work to do. So I look forward to, to seeing what you all come up with next in your research. But at the end of each episode, we ask each participant to give our listeners an action item or a practical tip that they can take away from the podcast and put into action immediately to make improvements in their own facilities. So what advice would you give to someone who's interested in moving beyond basic metrics such as DOTs or, or even the SAR? What metrics or metrics should they be thinking about? How can they get started? What advice do you have? And maybe I'll start with you, uh, Hiro. Yeah, so I think uh, as uh, we discussed, the spectral metric is still at early stage of development or validation. But I'd like to encourage people to like use um, this type of metric wider, widely. So as we discussed, uh, if you have uh, already tracking DOTs, you can calculate ASI or DAS. At least by hand. If you have the IT person, that will be much, much better. But 
you know, you could calculate those spectral metrics by yourself. So, yeah, I would encourage uh, to kind of check the spectral metric uh, with DOT and see how your antibody prescribing pattern can be captured by those spectral metrics in your facility. What do you think, Mike? I'd probably say the next step would be for any given individual or, or um, institution would be a, a feasibility assessment, looking at kind of, you know, there's a number of, a lot of smart people working on a lot of good projects that have been published. And and I think a lot of these, you know, more novel metrics are out there. And I think the next step really for any, any one person is to look at the resources they have available, the data that they've got available, which of those metrics could actually be applied to the data that they have available since everyone's at kind of different stages of development and, you know, picking and choosing based on what resources they have. And then, and I think probably, again, just in terms of that feasibility assessment, also just looking at what your specific pain point is at your institution and trying to see if that metric will actually help you address that pain point. So I think that's probably the next step, something you could maybe do tomorrow or the next week. It's Friday. How about you, Rebecca? Yeah, no, I think if I was a steward thinking about maybe bringing in some more novel spectrum metrics, I think the first thing I would encourage is like, make sure what you are doing is assessing something that's going to affect broadness. (laughs) So that's one to answer that question. These metrics can be helpful. And then I would say if you have initiative that you're looking at assessing that question on, maybe just start small, get your DOT data from that, and then make a nice table using one of the supplements from either one of Michi's paper, or you can use uh, Jeff has like a very easily to understand like um, table. Once you get that into a table and then you assign it to each drug, it's actually not that hard to assign the number for each one. So it looks harder than it really is. It's really a table. So I, I think you can do it if you want to. And I think the other thing is just to think like, okay, like what am I gonna do with this ASC score, ASI score? How am I going to use that to show my impact and how am I going to translate that to my the people I'm trying to get that message to? So those are the the questions that I would go through. One, make sure your question matches your outcome. Two, don't be intimidated. It's just a table. And then three, how are you going to message that once you get that data back? Great. And last but not least, Michi. Well, everyone has already said all that, all that great comment. So that I really like that Mike's comment over pain point of the social program. So that I think that's great for that. But it depends on you know, that which element of your activities you know, that you want to measure. I think you have to you know, combine some metrics to look for what is your pain point of your program. I agree with Rebecca you know, that you know, actually those you know, that implementation of ASI or DASK will be you know, much easier than what it looks. You know, if you have a you know, skill on Excel, probably you can do it. Probably you don't need you know, the informatics expertise. So that, you know, that just so that, you know, that take the DOT data and put down the numbers from the ASI or you know, the desk, then you know, the Excel should be able to you know, split out the you know, data for you. So that's you know, actually quite easy. You know, it doesn't require any statistical you know, expertise or you know, the machine learning expertise or anything like that. Start with something simple. Then you know, look for what you want to measure and what you want to you know, prove your progress and then what you really care about your program. I think that's what I know there, where people should start. Well, thanks. I think those were all great suggestions. And I should note that several other papers in this month's issue of Itchy address the topic 
of metrics of antimicrobial use and other important topics related to enhancing the effectiveness and reach of our antimicrobial stewardship programs. And of course, we didn't have time to talk about all of those today. So I encourage our listeners to look at all of those papers as well. And I think they may provide some additional ideas and insight into this important topic. So with that, I want to thank you all once again for spending time with us today to talk about this issue and about your own research. I also want to thank Lindsay McMurray, our producer and the managing editor of Itchy. And finally, I want to thank you, our listeners. I hope you'll join us again for the next episode of the Itchy Podcast. 